Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. Number one, God is not in the business of being a slave to our little emotional outbursts. I mean, it's not going to happen. But if it did happen, if this guy was struck dead on the spot with a heart attack, we'd still say it's bells and whistles. We'd have a few moments of doubt. There might be. But we'd go right back to our biases and presuppositions because I don't think it would take any... There's nothing that could happen. There's no evidence that anyone could possibly have that could overcome a bias. You know, if Sire's got something to say and, and, and Pascal and the major theologians have something to say, it's, it's not the evidence. This is the thesis here. It's not the evidence that's the problem. There's plenty of evidence for God if you're looking for it, it and if you're open to it. But if you're not open to it, you won't see it. It's that simple. It may sound strange, but once you're open to it, all of a sudden it unfolds, uh, and then you can assess it. But as long as you have presuppositions that are obstacles, that's why it's not sufficient just to rely on God to do everything, to bring us to faith, to bring if you're in atheism and denial and wondering about all of these things. It's, it's up to us to argue and think and assess and look for the evidence as best we can. At least that overcomes some of the prejudices and obstacles so God can operate in us. That's the Christian theological point of view. It's not the same in all religions. But for God to operate, there's nobody forcing you to believe in Christianity. It's either you allowing God to convince you or um, you just being close to the evidence. Number eight says that uh, the Bible in general doesn't use apologetics. Where they get that is beyond me, but that's an argument that's used. Um, what they say is the Bible was written for believers, so there's really no argument there for God. It's just assumed. Like the people who wrote it believe, the people who read it believe it. It wasn't an apologetic argument at all. It was simply saying what these people believe. Now, that's true. There isn't really all that much argument about God's existence. In fact, the Bible never disputes God's existence. Um, the New Testament does, though, the answer would be, the New Testament does make the case by arguing that Jesus fulfilled prophecies, that Jesus performed miracles, that Jesus spoke of himself as God's Son, as, as, as part of the, the, the essence of God. All of these shocking things, and they were shocking in the culture, and they're still shocking to other religions. Um, it's an offense to other religions. That's, uh, Christians are, are aware of that. But there are arguments for all of those uh, biblical beliefs. Um, so for somebody to say the Bible didn't do apologetics, didn't justify itself, nobody was involved in it, they're not reading the same book that, that the scholars are, obviously. And these are pretty poor reasons. I mean, people are looking for any excuse, any thread of evidence to, to free us from the burden of having to justify what we believe. Um, um, now we have 1B, excuses outside of the Bible, other reasons. Reason can't tell us anything about God. God is so 
other, so beyond our, our miserable little finite minds that we couldn't possibly justify or even understand God. Now, see, that sounds great. That's been used by faithists in, 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 for centuries, especially these, these days when the whole religion has become faithist. Uh, it seems to dom- predominantly so, that we have to write books reminding them that they have to use their mind again. You know, it's true that, that God is, is incredibly beyond anything that we can imagine or know, but it's not all or nothing from a religious point of view. We can know something about God. God's not completely unknown. And in fact, if you believe like Christians do, that God has revealed himself through prophets and Jesus and through all kinds of, you know, I mean, God speaks to us. God is, God is, it's like we know something about God. No one in their right mind would say we know everything there is to know about God. But this excuse is saying because we can't know, because God is so beyond us, we can't know anything. That's nonsense. From a Christian point of view, or from a Muslim point of view, God has revealed God's self. We, we, we have some information about God that comes right from. And quite frankly, I could say, human reason can tell us quite a bit about God, if you think about it. Uh, you get in the context of fighting some atheists about whether God exists or not, or some scientists, one of the first things we should be saying is, well, where did it come from? Why is there a, why is there a universe? And science comes up with pretty much nothing, except maybe it caused itself, or maybe it's eternal, or maybe there's, who knows. But we say, reason tells us that there had to be a first cause which is far greater than us. Like, and that's what we mean by God. I mean, the Bible and religious belief fleshes in what, what God is, is, is like, but Reason alone tells us that we can know something about God, i.e. that God created the whole thing in the beginning. Some scientists come close without saying the word God. Stephen Hawking mentioned it once and then dropped it. Paul Davies, the physicist who writes books called God in Physics, and etc. God's in the title, but after, he, he, you know what he does when he gets to the, to the thesis that I can't explain the universe from my expertise of physics, astrophysics, this is Paul Davies, the Australian. He says, there must be a super force. There must be a super force that's responsible for it. Can't cough out the word God, but he can say a super There's something. There's some kind of intelligent mind, or else science can't explain it. So what I'm saying is, for somebody who says we don't have to think about God and, and try to justify our beliefs about spirituality in general, it's because God is so far beyond... The simple answer is, we don't know everything about God, obviously, but we, we know an awful lot. We know lots of things about God. God has revealed things to us, and our human reason has revealed things to us that, that, that are about God. Now, number ten is that mere logic, logical argument can't prove God, can't justify belief in God. The simple answer to that is, that's right, that's right, but mere logic can show you where your belief is illogical, whether where it's filled with contradictions. So don't fluff off logic too quickly. Um, it sounds like, you know, logic is useless to these, these people who are looking for excuses, but logic is very useful to show whether our belief is completely contradictory or self-refuting. It's, it's very useful. Number, 12, uh, number 11 is that uh, reason is useless, not just in general, but especially especially in religious matters, especially in religion, because we're talking about all kinds of things that we can't see. Like in science, maybe it's useful, 
but what about the meaning of life, about the afterlife, about life after death, about souls existing and forth? It's useless, isn't it? Well, the answer to that is, again, we can't know everything, but there's an awful lot we can know with, with reason. Um, part of the answer is, though, the alternative to reason is to say, I'm going to be a fatist. I'm going to be somebody who rejects the use of reason completely. That statement itself, we should reject reason and be a fatist, is actually a rational statement. It, it, you have to use reason to reject it. Now, that's a little play on logic, but we can't help but use reason. We're condemned to use reason. We're thinking creatures. You can't just say reason can't tell us anything about religious matters. When you use it, lo and behold, you can actually make an argument for life after death. You can make an argument for God's existence. You can make an argument for the soul. You can make an argument for a lot of things that we believe in faith. That's the beauty of Priest's chapter when he, when he tells you these things, like in a little more detail. See, when we're trying to prove God's existence through reason, what we're going to end up with, as we'll see, we can prove that there probably was a first cause, or there might be an intelligent designer, but we're not quite sure whether that's a Christian God or not. That's true. That the, the, When we use reason to think about God, we're not really saying much more than God must be at least a creator, at least intelligent, at least powerful. And, and once you start finishing with all these elite, you know, at least, you start getting close to what we mean by God, though. Um, the creator, intelligent, loving, powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. Like, it, it sounds, it's getting there. And if you just simply add a special revelation, like the Bible, uh, you, you fill in the details. So, to say that reason can't prove the God of Christianity, yes and no. Um, like, a lot of religions can use these arguments for God's existence, and we can all claim, well, this proves the Muslim God, this, this, this proves the Christian God. There's one of the great arguments for God's existence that's from Islam, uh, the Kalam cosmological argument, which Christians use. And the, the, then, I mean, all it proves is that there's some God-like figure, but then we need the scriptures to fill in. Uh, what we what that God is like, because all we know is that God is powerful and wise and powerful enough to create, wise enough to create with a structure and an order. But yeah, th th this criticism isn't all that devastating. Nobody claims that the proofs for God's existence prove any particular God in detail. It just gives us a vague understanding of, of what God is like as a creator, as a mind, as intelligent. The rest comes from uh, revelation, from the scriptures. And the thirteenth one, when, when critics say, why should I try to justify my, pay, my faith and, and, and people's beliefs? Because no one, the criticism is, no one has been persuaded by, by rational arguments to believe in God. Well, again, th 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 that just isn't true. Aristotle was persuaded by rational arguments to believe in God, the greatest mind probably in the Western culture, a philosopher. Um, one philosopher said that all philosophy is just a footnote to, to, to Plato, but Aristotle was up there as a major intellect, and he still influences us. He was persuaded. There are lots of people, quite frankly. Do you know there are all kinds of books being written about, about people that they, they testify that they're out to just join the club and write another Da Vinci Code? And uh, it, There's a famous book called Who Moved the Stone? You know, like the, the tomb where Jesus was, was buried. This guy was out to show that there's just no way that the Christian 
you know, Bible was true. And just by examining the evidence, the rational evidence, who moved the stone is still in print after all these decades, and he, he tells us that it was the evidence that convinced him. It wasn't God, it was the evidence that did. Now, we'd say once he was open to the evidence, then, then God sealed it. But this, this argument that reason and rational arguments and evidence can't get someone to believe in God just doesn't bear out when you see tons and tons of C.S. Lewis, tons of testimony. C.S. Lewis is the, probably the most famous writer of the 20th century, at least in the top five, if not the most well-known. started as an atheist, and, and he started looking at evidence and criticizing, and all of a sudden he realized he believed in it. Like, of course reason can bring people to understand. That's, that's, there's not, why we separate faith from reason is a mystery, but we're in a culture that says head knowledge, intellectual knowledge is useless. What we really need is feeling and belief and opinion and internal stuff. And I think separating those two is a serious mistake. I think what we need is informed belief, informed faith, critical faith that's been tested with evidence and thinking and, and, and an absence of unbiased presuppositions and, 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 and uh, logical fallacies. And critical faith is, is a step above um, untested faith, uncritical faith. It's a mature faith as opposed to a naive faith that can believe anything because it never takes the trouble to examine it. Now, having given you all of those arguments, now here are four reasons why we should engage in apologetics. For Christians, it's very simple. The first reason is that God commands us to. The biblical texts dominantly say, give a reason for what you believe. The famous one is the first letter of Peter 3, verse 15. Always be ready to give a reason for what you believe. Isaiah, the first chapter in the Old Testament, come, let us reason together, is, is God's invitation. Let's reason together. And on and on and on, Paul is saying, I want the leaders of the church to be informed about what they believe and to be able to pass that teaching on. I don't, he's not talking about blind faith or rhetoric. Okay, that's number one. God commands us to do apologetics for a Christian. I'm not sure about other religions, quite frankly. Like, I don't know that one. I don't know the answer. I, I, I know Christians are commanded, though. It's our responsibility that we've shirked for centuries. Um, I don't know if we've ever done it except in the first two or three centuries. To take the trouble. The theologians do, but we're talking about the people. The people sitting there worshiping God. What have they done to convince themselves that what they believe is true or not? Why, why do you take everybody's you know, the tradition for granted and the, and, and, the, and the text for granted? Like there's, there's no question about its authenticity. It's a good exercise and there's nothing to be afraid of when we, when we seek evidence for what we believe. So God uh, commands it uh, in, in, in all kinds of scriptures. Uh, secondly, another reason why we have to do this is that reason demands it. Um, we actually are creatures who seek truth. We're not looking for, for some belief that's completely irrational and silly. Very few people are like that. And if they are, you know, you have to worry about them, and they should worry. No one wants to believe something that's obviously irrational and nonsensical. If you're walking out of a 10-story, you know, office complex, and the, the elevator door opens, and there's no elevator there, it's irrational to walk in that thing. Like, the evidence says that, that you know, you can, you can say, well, I, I just believe it's there. But it isn't there. 
Like we don't want to believe in something that's completely irrational. You don't just dive into the darkness and, you know, like there's a, an analogy from Kierkegaard, one of these philosophers who thought the opposite that I did. Complete faith, if you say, what faith is, is like diving in the dark off a precipice. I'm not just sure that that's the kind of faith we need. Just jumping off, a, a, you know, a pinnacle of a mountain or, or, or something. Like how many people would jump into a swimming pool not knowing whether there's water in it or not at midnight? Like that kind of faith is completely irrational. That's not what God's asking. I don't think anyone, at least the majority, don't want to believe in irrational things. And I think that that, that, that eggs us when we when we realize that gee, this is really a really strange stuff. There's no reason for it, and yet I believe it. You wonder how long that belief's going to last, how, what it's going to do when you when, when you need it. Uh, the third reason is that the world needs apologetics because it's. Uh, you know, we don't have to make this Christian. This is in general. We all need to defend what we believe. Just the message. Christians are confused with other other worldviews, other beliefs. Um, most of them don't understand what, what they're supposed to believe to start with. Um, they don't understand the details. We have shirked teaching theology for centuries now, uh, outside the Catholic Church anyway. The world needs it. We need it because our culture is spiritually sick. It's, it's all over the place. There's, there's so many competing beliefs that we need it. We need to think. Just the message I've been, I've been stressing. Results confirm it. That apologetics is useful. And then he mentions all kinds of people who um, have, have changed their minds when they started thinking about what they believe. Quote C.S. Lewis, this uh, famous Christian writer. Um, he says, to be ignorant and simple now not to be able to meet the enemy on their own ground, like he's talking about um, not the enemy, you think other people, he's talking about the big enemy, um, uh, dehumanization and, and satanic, and but it's mostly dehumanization that we, we would say. Not to be ignorant now in this culture, he's saying, would be to throw down our weapons, to betray our uneducated brethren who have under God no defense, but but us against the intellectual attacks. I'm going to change the words on, on, he says of the heathen, but what he really means, the intellectual attacks against what we believe. Somebody's got to defend us. Somebody has to take responsibility. Um, good philosophy must exist if, if for no other reason than bad philosophies out there. That's why we do apologetics. I, I think I'd soften it and say we, we have to defend the faith because we all believe so many different things. And uh, it, all it does is just, just drive us apart rather than cohere us as a culture, and it's not healthy. Um, we can eliminate some of these beliefs very, very quickly with a little bit of thinking, uh, and it really remains to just the great, the great religions. And, and um, You can't dispense with atheism too quickly, but when you analyze it in detail, um, no religious belief, there's no spiritual life, there's no soul and all of that, you can find an awful lot of logical problems in it, let alone emotional problems. There's no life after death, and yet you live like there is. Uh, there's no ethics, and yet we all think that if you're cheated, that somebody's cheated you ethically. There's all kinds of self-refutations in the worldview called atheism, um, because, and we know that because we've studied it and analyzed it in depth. And there are a lot of contradictions that people see in Christianity, but 
there's been 2,000 years of answering those contradictions and discussing them and trying to show that they're not, they, they, they don't destroy the thing, that there actually are some answers. That's what we have to do. That's a good model. It's been around the longest and it's the biggest. That's why it has all of this done. And it's an ongoing race, though. It's an ongoing struggle to keep encouraging the next generations not to fall into the easy, easy faithism where th th there's nothing to do except believe whatever you want to believe. Um, I don't know if you're convinced or not. I think if you're Christian, I hope this is uh, at least this one reading just for you. I don't know if, if you're 10% of the class or 50. I have no idea. I should, but I don't. And it's better that I don't. And I think everybody's guilty of this, so it's not just Christians. There are exceptions. People who take their religion seriously do the work. They do the defense, and they look for the arguments. They're not out there to argue with people for the sake of arguing. They're there to convince themselves, you know, to, to deepen their faith. You know, it's like listening to some music. You can all you bring in some Beethoven, and you play the thing, and we say, how did that feel? And we can all we can all appreciate it at the level of feeling, but does it really destroy that music, or does it make it better if we bring a religion or, or a, a music prop in and give us about two hours of why Beethoven wrote this thing and how he wrote it and how it's put together, to have a, an in-depth, rational appreciation of that music? To me, doesn't destroy it. For some people, it may. That's that's our culture. They're saying, you know, Wordsworth said, if you know, if we dissect nature, we destroy it. You know to dissect it. But I don't think so. Like I can, We all can feel the beauty of poetry or music or, or, or our religious beliefs. I don't think it, I don't think it, it destroys them unless they're wrong in the first place. To have a little in-depth information about what those beliefs are. And if you think of the music, I can't think of a better analogy. Uh, some people would say, you've just destroyed that. Now I know that Beethoven wrote that because he was going deaf and that's why it's so loud and he banged the piano out of tune doing that. And like, and Bach wrote this thing one way and then he wrote it backwards and, and now I can see it's all just contrived. It doesn't take away the beauty of the thing. It just gives you some idea how the beauty was put together. I think it, it makes your appreciation deeper. That's what I'm after. That our religious beliefs, yes, we feel them. They're beautiful like the music. But if we don't, if we don't find some depth, I'm not just sure. I'm not just sure the beauty is all that there is. I think we're missing the under, the, the undercurrent. We live on the shallow, shallow end of life, and there's such a nicer way to live with feeling all of these dimensions. Because I, I think I'm fighting an uphill battle in this culture, and somebody's got to say this and say it over and over again until we get it, that living at the experiential level is just not enough. We need more. You know, if, if, if you're wrong, it could... There isn't any reincarnation. If there actually is a God that gave you the opportunity and you didn't take it, that could be a, a, a major problem. You just have to think of it a little more seriously sometimes, that we're not just all observers here and everything is going to turn out all right. And there is a God, I'm sure he'll give me a fair break. We don't know that. I, I think we have to do a little more, um, a little more uh, study of what we believe. You know, you can fill your mind. Some guys are just like me. I bet you, you know, I knew every, every baseball, football, hockey stat. I, I know every lyric that, that Bob Dylan ever wrote. I know almost every song. It's like, oh, garbage. Like, like, what's important in life? 
is like, like whether what I believe about life and death and God is important. Now, I don't mind this other stuff if we have time for it, but when it comes to a choice of what do I do tonight, you ever find yourself being bored? God forbid, I don't even know the meaning of that word. But I, hopefully you don't either. There's no excuse for boredom. I mean, what we should be doing, the cure for boredom is, I'm going to write down what I believe about God and the soul and the afterlife, and I'm going to make it my bloody business to find out whether I'm right or not. And, I, and I'm not just going to say because I believe it and it feels good that I must be right. There's, there, there's always something creative and important that you should be doing. It sounds like it's overwhelming. It, it, you're in my world now. Like this is the world of theology and philosophy of religion where we study religious beliefs and there's, God knows there's little opportunity to study it anywhere but here. But I can't think of anything more important. Like, I don't really care about economics and physics. And I, I mean, this stuff is just amusing to me. Like, life's too short. Uh, and, and I know, you know, we're not all going to be theologians, but everybody should be. Everybody should be to the full extent that they can be um, to, to at least examine what they believe and what they don't and why. And by the way, it's very easy to find confirmation in the person beside you who believes the same thing. What you want to do is talk to somebody beside you who doesn't believe the same thing and put your beliefs to a test. And, and, and we're not talking about arguing and ad hominem press. We're talking about cooperative, loving conversation where we're trying to actually understand what another person believes and reassess it. It should be mandatory that we have courses on world religions, I swear. If we don't have cultural courses on every culture, we should at least be aware of the world's great religions. And then we have a, a little more understanding of our own, the one we grew up in, socialized into. And it's not, it's not going to crumple anybody's faith. It's going to deepen it, probably. It's, it's not about conversion as much as it's about understanding what you believe and just assuring yourself with as much arsenal as you have that it's not wasting your life. Otherwise, the price may be just incredibly great. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.